We have been in a series on Celebrate Recovery. This is a ministry that we launched just a couple weeks ago. And to introduce you to what the heart and the vision of Celebrate Recovery is, we wanted to do a message series, an eight-week message series, digging into the DNA of Celebrate Recovery. And it's not, you're just not gonna be hearing from Leslie and I throughout this series. You heard from Ron and Kristen last week. Next week, Bradley Fields, him and I are gonna be tag-teaming the message next Sunday morning. We're excited about that. Today is part four, so we're only halfway through this series after we finish today. This series, it's called The Road to Recovery, and it's actually a message series by Pastor Rick Warren out of Saddleback Church in Texas. Saddleback Church is where Celebrate Recovery was birthed, and now it is in far over 30,000 churches worldwide. Over two million people have gone through Celebrate Recovery and found freedom because Celebrate Recovery is completely based off of the Word of God. Its principles, its steps are all scripture. And we know that the word of God brings freedom and brings healing and wholeness. No matter who, no matter what you've walked through, no matter when it was in your life, you can find freedom in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Our theme verse for this series, by the way, this morning, uh, this message is called Coming Clean is the title of today. The theme verse for this entire series is Isaiah 57, verses 18 and 19. This is out of the Passion Translation. Even though, this is the Father speaking, even though I've seen their ways, I will heal them. I will guide them forward and repay them with comfort, giving mourners the language of praise. I offer peace to those who are far from me, and I offer peace to those who are near, and I will heal their deepest wounds says Yahweh, amen? That is a promise, church. That is a promise of the Father to you and to me. He will heal our deepest wounds. He will give our mourning and grieving spirit the language of praise. He offers peace to those who are far away and those who are near. That is his nature, that is his goodness, it's who he is. So recovery, these eight weeks We take the word recovery and we break it down into eight parts based off of each letter of the word. It's an acronym for recovery. The first, R, realize, this was week one, realize I'm not God. I admit I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and my life is unmanageable. This is prior to Jesus. Before Jesus, I'm powerless to control anything in my life. My tendency to do the wrong thing in my life is unmanageable. Next, E, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. So I am powerless, but I know who holds the power. His name is Jesus. C, this was last week, consciously choose to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. So the first step, the R, Rick Warren calls that the reality step. Reality check, you are not God. Reality check, without him you are powerless to change. The next step is the hope step, but there is hope. And his name is Jesus because he holds the power. The commitment step was C. Even, it's not enough to just know that you have a problem. How many of us 
we're, we're aware enough about ourselves to realize we have problems and issues. It's not enough to just realize we have a problem, and it's not enough to just know that God can solve your problem. We have to commit. We have to surrender. We have to submit everything in our lives to his care and his control. And then today, this is called the house cleaning step, the fun one. No, it's not the fun one. It's probably the hardest out of them all. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Gets real and raw in this step. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Let's read that out loud together. Read it with me. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. The reason this step is part of the recovery process is because of guilt. Guilt, everybody say guilt. Guilt keeps us stuck in the past. It keeps us from growing. It keeps us from becoming all that God wants us to be because we are constantly looking in the rearview mirror. We're constantly looking behind us at our mistakes, at our struggles, at our hurts, at our habits, our hangups, and we get so focused on what is behind us, we can't see anything that is in front of us. And it all stems from guilt and shame and condemnation that keeps us looking behind. And that's why this step is essential to the recovery process. To truly live in the abundant life, we cannot live in guilt. Listen, guilt, shame, condemnation was never a part of God's plan for your life. No matter how much you believe you deserve what you're feeling, you deserve what's happened to you because of choices and decisions that you made. Guilt, shame, condemnation, it was never a part of his plan. It is the enemy. It is his deception. It is his lies that steal and rob your joy and your peace. We've all made mistakes and we have regrets. We've been there. We have remorse. We have things that we wish we could turn the clock back on. If only I could go back in time and fix this. If only I could go back in time and do this different. If only I could go back in time and say this differently. I would avoid so much pain. I would avoid so many regrets. I would avoid so much shame. And as a result, we carry guilt around, consciously and subconsciously. This is very important. We consciously carry guilt around. It haunts us. Like I said, we continually dwell on the past. But a lot of times, we subconsciously carry guilt around. We don't even realize our reactions, our lifestyles, our choices, our thought processes are the, are the cause of subconscious guilt and shame. But we don't label it that. We have a whole bunch of other labels we put on it, but it's not guilt and shame. We may deny it. We may repress it. We may blame others for it. We may excuse it. We may rationalize it away. It's okay. It's all right. It's not that big a deal. Everyone was doing it. It was a long time ago. It's, it's, it's in the past. What's in the past is in the past. I'm good. I'm cool. I'm fine. I'm fine. But its effects live with us. 
Psalm 32, verses 1 through 2. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. What joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. He doesn't just cover it up. He doesn't just turn a blind eye to it. He clears your record of guilt whose lives are lived in complete honesty. So the reason for this step is so we can get out of the jail cell. The door is open. We did a message about this a couple of years ago. The door is open, but we sit in the cell by our chains in our, in our known comfort of, I deserve this. This is where I'm supposed to stay because I'm familiar with it. And guilt becomes something we live with, we walk with, we talk with, like he was saying. The reason for this step is to finally walk out of the cell. Get out. Leave it behind. Not even behind. What is, what is it? It says in Psalms, your transgressions are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And we know it here. We hear it. But we still repeat. What happens to us if we hold on to guilt? What happens to us if we stay in the cell? Guilt destroys my confidence, number one. Guilt destroys my confidence as a person in my relationships. It, it destroys it. I cannot be a confident person while carrying guilt because I'm always worried about someone finding out the truth about who I really am. We're afraid of other people, and it destroys our confidence. Many years ago, Sir Arthur Conan, Conan I think it's Conan Doyle, the guy who wrote all the Sherlock Holmes books, played a prank on five of the most prominent men in England. He sent them an anonymous letter that read, all is found out, flee at once. Within 24 hours, the, all five had left the country. <laughs> he, he literally had nothing on him, but the guilt they were carrying as the five most prominent, I mean, can you imagine? Guilt robs you of confidence. Somebody's going to find out that skeleton in my closet, that deep, dark secret that just me and God know, and it's heavy. It is so heavy. Number two, guilt damages my relationships. Guilt causes me to respond to people in wrong ways with impatience. I overreact in anger. Sometimes we spoil our loved ones to make up for the guilty feelings we have. Maybe we feel like we've let our kids down and so we buy them all the things because that should show them how much we love them and that helps us feel better about the guilt we're carrying. It damages relationships. You push people away or you only let them in so close, right? And this could be even spouses that have been married for a number of years. But if he knew this about me, but if she knew that about me, I can't be that real with anyone because what would happen? 
And the enemy wants us to fear each other. Because there's a verse that says, when you confess your sins one to another, there's healing, right? So he wants us to push people away. He wants us to live in our cell. He wants us to hold on to our guilt and walk around bearing the weight of it. And these unresolved problems destroy marriages, destroy relationships, destroy families. Guilt is a thief. Guilt keeps me stuck in the past. Travis said it, and he talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's like driving a car and constantly looking in the rearview mirror. Where are you going to end up? Not good. We can't constantly be looking in the past and saying, if I would have, if I could have, or I just did. It gives perspective, but you can't focus on it, or you'll never get anywhere. So when you look in the past, what you need to see is, Look where I am now. Glory to glory, right? Let's change the language. Let's change the verbiage. Let's start speaking life over ourselves. I'm not to that part of the message. Got to stick to this part. But seriously, like, okay, all right, back to this. Guilt tends to replay in our minds the things you wish you could change but are never going to. Guilt cannot change the past just like worry cannot change the future, Boom, shakalaka. I'm going to say it again. Guilt cannot change the past just like worry cannot change the future. (sighs) Guilt makes you sick and miserable. Psychiatrists say 70% of people in hospitals today would be home and well if they could let go of their guilt. When I swallow my guilt, my stomach keeps score. If I don't talk out, talk it out with God and others, I take it out on myself. It's very important to get it out to the Lord and to someone you trust. We're going to get there. But isn't it funny how so often our physical pain, I'm not saying every sickness or everything we're struggling with, but so often how a headache or our muscle tension or the things we deal with, it's because we're holding on to something and we're trying to control and we're trying to fix and we're trying to make better or we feel the weight of it and it affects your physical body. We are body, soul, and spirit. It is all connected. That's how he created us. So when we internalize guilt, guilt that Travis said and the Jesus said we're not made to carry It affects our health. It affects our mental health. It it affects our spiritual health. Can anybody say amen to that? I can say amen to that. I have experienced it. This step separates the men from the boys. This is hard because you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're saying, well, what do I feel guilty about? What am I carrying? And it's truly doing the work. You can't just say, Jesus, I love you and thank you for forgiving me. I'm free. You are free indeed. But now you need to walk out your salvation and say, okay, what is pulling me back into my old life? What's weighing on me? What's trying to drown me? And clip it off one at a time. Prune it off. Get it off. Get the guilt removed from your life because that is not how you're supposed to function. You can't function with a millstone around your neck, right? In Proverbs 28, 13 says, if you cover up your sin, you'll never do well. But if you confess your sins and forsake them, you will be kissed by mercy. 
My favorite scripture is, it's his kindness that draws us to repentance. So if you hear a voice of anything other than a loving father saying, I love you, child, come home, you are hearing the enemy's voice. Because it is his kindness, it is his mercy, it is his love. He doesn't beat you. He doesn't, he's not up there with a big stick waiting for his judgment and condemnation to come down on you. That isn't the Father God, the King of the world. He is saying, I love you, child, and I've freed you. Now get out of the cell. Amen? Now how do we do it? How do we do this step? Have you ever heard someone say before, what I'm about to tell you, it's simple, but it's not easy. There's a difference between something being simple and something being easy. This step is simple, but let me tell you, it requires a whole lot of courage to truly walk this step out. How do we do it? So there's five parts to this step. How do we do it? Take a personal moral inventory. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've not done this yet. It's soon approaching, though. We're about, Leslie and I, we're both walking through our recovery, and this is the next step for us, is to take a personal moral inventory. What does this look like? You get alone by yourself with a pencil and a notepad, and you say to yourself, what do I feel guilty about? Where is there shame in my life? Why am I feeling shame? Why am I feeling regret? What regrets do I have? And then you ask the Holy Spirit to help you. This is not a self-loathing session to where you just beat yourself up and beat yourself up. You ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to me, where is there shame in my life? Where is there guilt in my life? Where is there condemnation? You ask the Holy Spirit to help. Ask him, what are the things that I'm consciously and subconsciously feeling guilty about? Lamentations 3 verse 40 says, let us test and examine our ways. There's wisdom in this, self-reflection, examining our ways, examining our thoughts. Psalm 139, David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. How many of you want to be led along the path of everlasting life, of peace, to be planted like a tree by still waters? I do. But you don't just arrive there. You have to say, search me, God point out anything in my life that is hindering me from walking in complete freedom with you. Things that go way back in my past, some things I may have even forgotten about or I've hid so well, I don't even, I don't even know where they are myself. Be real. This step, it takes time. When you're writing out this inventory, it's not gonna happen in 10 minutes. Rick Warren said the first time he did it, it took him three to four hours to work through all of this, to be that real, raw, and honest with God. And it takes ruthless honesty. Not pretending that everything is fine. Why do we need to do this? Why do we need to put it in writing? 
Rick Warren, he said, I love this, thoughts, how many of you feel like there's two monkeys in a yo-yo inside of your head sometimes, right? Your thoughts are all, you know, just going crazy on you. Thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips and the fingertips. Thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips and the fingertips. When you speak something out or when you begin to write something out, it brings clarity. It forces you to be specific and face reality when you can see it or when you can hear it. It forces you to face reality about things that you have been carrying for so long that you were never meant to carry. Leslie's gonna talk about that a little bit more. So that's one, take a personal moral inventory. Step two, and how do we do this? Accept responsibility for my fault. Accept responsibility for my fault. Now listen, this has been a struggle since Genesis chapter three. It's her fault. She made me do it. Blame her. Bad, bad, bad Eve, right? We have such a problem sometimes accepting responsibility for things that are our fault. We don't want to face that reality. Proverbs 20 says, the Lord's light penetrates the human spirit, exposing every hidden motive. Rick Warren says, the greatest holdup to healing, the healing of my hangups is me. The greatest holdup to the healing of my hangups is me. It starts with me being radically honest about the problems in my life. We make excuses, we say things like, if I would just change towns, if I would just change jobs, if I would just change relationships, if I would just change churches, things, I, I, would, I would be different. I would know more, I would grow more, I would find more freedom. Life would be better if I would just change this, or change this, or change this. The, the problem is you're still there. How many of you have heard this said before? What is the common denominator in every one of your failed relationships? Me. We have to be willing sometimes to say, there are things in my life that are my fault and accept responsibility for those things. And don't make an excuse. Accept responsibility. 1 John 1.8, if we boast that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we are strangers to the truth. If we say we have no sins, we're fooling ourselves. If I really wanna stop defeating myself, I must stop deceiving myself. If I really wanna stop defeating myself, I must stop deceiving myself. So ask yourself the question today, what am I pretending to not feel guilty about? That's a hard question. What, what is in my life, what am I pretending to not feel guilty about? We gotta be ruthlessly honest with ourselves. If we wanna experience freedom, we can't keep things hidden in the shadows. They must be brought into the light. Number three, now we're getting to some good stuff. 
Ask God for forgiveness. I don't want you to feel like we're beating you up this morning, but we got to walk through these first few before we get to the freedom and the wholeness and the joy. 1 John 1, 9, go to the next verse. But if we freely admit our sins, when his light uncovers them, he will be faithful to forgive us every time. God is just to forgive our sins because of Christ, and he will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A-L-L, all unrighteousness. There is nothing you've done too bad or too disgusting that God cannot forgive you of, and he wants to. How do I ask God for forgiveness? Well, I'll tell you what not to do. You don't beg. Please, 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 God, with a cherry on top, will you forgive me? Reality check, he wants to forgive you more than you want him to forgive you. He is a forgiving, loving, compassionate father. He wants to forgive you. Don't bargain. God, if you'll forgive me, I'll never, ever, ever do that again. We've all been there. And don't bribe. God, if you'll forgive me, I promise to do a bunch of good things for you. If you forgive me, if you get me out of this mess, right? How do you receive God's forgiveness? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Confess and believe. It's that simple. That's all he wants. Confess and believe that he is God, and he will forgive you. You may say, you don't know what I've done. I couldn't be forgiven from this. There's no way. You are dead wrong. If you've ever felt that, if you've ever heard somebody speak those words to you, it is a lie. There is nothing that God will not forgive you from. If you, are, you humble yourself and you admit and you confess and believe, he will forgive you. Look at this verse. But if we, there we go. Come now, let's settle this. Says I love how the NLT puts this. Let's settle this, God says. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Isaiah 118. Number four. Here's the fun one. Get ready. Admit my faults to another person. This step is essential. You can't, can't just turn a blind eye to this one. Oh, I don't see that. It's not there. Nah, it's not important. Nobody else needs to know, really. Just me and God. We're good. James 5.16. Confess your sins to God and you will be healed. Is that what it says? Confess your sins now, this is not talking about forgiveness. It's talking about healing. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Why do I need to tell someone else? Is it really necessary, Travis? Because the root of our problem is relational. We lie to each other, we're dishonest. We wear masks. We deny our feelings. 
We walk in here on Sunday morning like everything is just fine and peachy. I don't got a single issue. I'm good. Life is beautiful. I'm fine. It isolates us from each other. We don't even realize it. And we end up living in shame. And it makes us insecure. And we become sick. Rick Warren says, I'm only as sick as my secrets. I'm only as sick as my secrets. And we just, we feel like we're protecting ourselves or we feel like we're protecting others if we're not honest. We've been sitting through some incredible open share groups, our small groups in, in Celebrate Recovery. And it's amazing how we hear people say things like, I've never been able to be open and honest with anybody. It's like, what? That's why the church exists. Bear one another's burdens. Confess your sins one to another so that you can pray for each other, so that you can find healing. It's not about just talking about how bad you are. It's so that we can pray and be healed and find freedom and walk in the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. When we risk honesty with another person, the feeling of freedom comes into our life because we realize it's not just me. I'm not the only one. We have to be able to risk honesty, though. Now, do you just openly broadcast your sin anywhere to anyone? Do you just get on Facebook, all right? (laughs) Status update. I'm about to list everything I've ever done wrong in my life. One, two, three, four. Now, if you want attention, do that. If you want healing, don't do that. Here's something else you don't do. Walking down the street, hey, my name's Travis. What's your name? Terry. Terry? You like my jacket? It's, it's vintage. You like it? <laughs> Terry, can I just tell you every single wrong thing I've ever done in my life and how big of a screw-up I am? I know we just met, but are you cool if I do that? Now, there may be some people... That are like, yeah, let's go get a cup of coffee. I'd love to hear about how big of a failure you are. (laughs) Right? Probably not the greatest thing to do, though. So, who? Who? Who do I go to? Someone you trust and has a reputation for keeping a confidence. Someone you trust, someone who has a reputation for keeping a confidence, someone who understands the value of what you're doing. Someone who understands the value of what you're doing. Someone who's mature enough that they're not going to be shocked. Our uh, youth director for Ohio, when I was a youth pastor, he would tell us every time we would meet together, he said, no matter what a student comes to you with, Never be shocked. Never appear to be like, oh my gosh. Are you kidding? Seriously, you did that? Do you understand what you've done? I don't even know what to say. No. 
Find someone who knows the value in what you're doing and who's mature enough in who they are to not be shocked by what you've done. And most importantly, someone who knows the Lord well enough that they're able to reflect his forgiveness to you. That's the most important step. Find someone who loves Jesus and who's able to reflect his love and his forgiveness to you. What do you say? Just say you need someone to listen. I just need you to listen to me. I just, I need to get something out to you. Rick Warren, he says that uh, when someone comes to him after church and they say, Pastor Rick, I'm about to tell you something that no one has, I've never told anyone this before in my life. He said that's one of the happiest moments of his life because he knows this person is about to find freedom. Just be real. Here's some things I need you to know that are wrong in my life, my hurts, my habits, my hang-ups. The secret, this is powerful. Look at the screens. The secret you want to conceal the most is the one you need to reveal the most. And can I just say, this is just as convicting to us as it, as it is to you. I hope it is. It's not shame. It's not humiliation. That's not what we're going after this morning. But it's this step that we need to take that is essential to us truly living in freedom. freedom. You don't know what freedom is like until you found true freedom in Jesus from your past, from your guilt and your shame. When do you do it? As soon as possible. Find someone as soon as possible, unless you're cool with living in a little bit more pain, then don't do that. But pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal someone to you you can go to, that you can be real and vulnerable with and raw with, and say, I just need you to listen to me. I need to confess. I need to admit some things that I've done in my life. Will you pray for me? Will you help me? I need truth in my life. This step is essential. It cannot be avoided if we want to find freedom. Can I add to that accountability partner, that person you're going to, make sure you are going to somebody that's going to call out the destiny in you because what you were originally created for was stolen at the fall and was restored at the cross. Listen. What you were originally created for was stolen at the fall and was restored at the cross. So when you have somebody in your life that you can confess to, you are restoring. You are being restored. But make sure it's someone that's saying, hey, I see you. I see Jesus in you. I see a future in you. There is hope for us. Not someone that is going to be down and depressed, and, but encouraging encourage one another and build each other up and so fulfill the law of Christ, right? I'm pretty sure that's all supposed to be in the same verse. <laughs> Number five and final, accept, accept God's forgiveness and forgive myself. Will you stand with me? We have all sinned. Romans 3.23, we memorize this as kids. We have all sinned. Does it say a uh, certain demographic has sinned, a certain set of people has sinned, oh, that generation sinned? No, it says we have all sinned. 
and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? I love the phrase, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. So when you look around the room, when you look on this stage, you're not seeing somebody who's above you or anybody who's, who's we are all equal at the foot of the cross. And we are all set apart and made righteous when we receive Jesus. So then when you look at, around the room, you say, ah, hey, Jesus, Rick. Hey, hey, Jesus, Amber. Hey, Jesus, Katie. When you look around the room, you're seeing Jesus manifesting his love, his life, and his freedom. And we have to accept it. We can't just, we can't just go through life and hold it and internalize it, okay? We have all sinned and are in need of the glory of God, yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us, all because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt, punishment, and power of sin. For the who the Son sets free is free indeed. And see, the enemy wants you to keep your, stay in that cell, stay in the darkness, carry that guilt. And when you step out and you say, brother, sister, uh, this is where I am. This is what I'm carrying. And you take it off. Healing immediately floods. That's the victory I see in CR is that when we walk together, when we talk together, when we pray together, we are healed and we walk in freedom. We were never meant to be isolated. Iso isolation is from the devil. It's not God's plan. He created them in relationship. We are made for relationship. And we are not made to carry guilt and condemnation and shame. We are all in the same boat. Pastors need to take this step too. We've all blown it and made mistakes. When God forgives me, he forgives me instantly. He doesn't say, if you do this, this, and this, then you'll be forgiven. If you pray this many times, if you give me this many minutes, if you do this, then you'll be forgiven. No, it's instant. It's instant. It's done. It's finished. It is finished. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus. The anointed one, Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What does that mean? You are completely, 100% forgiven. And working that out, receiving that forgiveness, and then giving that forgiveness to yourself and to others. Holy moly, freedom. You're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to encounter joy. You're going to lay down at night and you're going to encounter peace. I was thinking about the type of guilt that people carry around. And some of it is so dark and so heavy. And the enemy lies in it and twists it. Like you said, a monkey in a yo-yo. Five years ago in October, my husband and I had a son. And many of you know this story. And he was born into heaven at 38 weeks. And when you're walking through the fire, the enemy tries to do anything he can to destroy you and destroy your hope in Christ. And blame you for what happened. 
And I remember in that season feeling guilt start to come up. Well, if you'd done this in your pregnancy or if you'd went to the doctor then or if they would have done this test or if you'd had this ultrasound or if you would have, and he started to try and blame me. Travis got a hold of my face and he said, no, we won't blame each other and we will not blame ourselves. We know who God is and we know where our son is and we know the redemptive power of Jesus Christ and we know he heals and we know he saves and we know he delivers and we know our son is whole. He doesn't have to face pain. He doesn't have to face suffering. We know that Ezekiel is with the Lord and that he was meant to be on this earth for nine months and he is in the arms of Jesus and we can trust him in that. Whether we understand it or not, we can't get caught up in the mystery. We we can't get up, caught up in the why. Then we load the guilt on. We load the pressure on. We can't do that to ourselves. So if there's something in the past that the enemy's trying to define for you, you need to say, Jesus, you define this for me. You tell me who I am. You tell me how amazing of a daughter of a son that I am. And you walk me into freedom. Are you with me? Some guilt is, is things we've done. Sins we've committed. And we carry it and we say, you deserve this. Come on. You need to pay. So you make yourself pay for the wrong. You make yourself pay for it. Because if you, if you forgive yourself, then, you know... It just can't be that good. Jesus just can't be that good. So it's my fault. I did it. I chose it. I'm going to carry it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat myself up every day. I'm not going to walk as a daughter or a son. I don't deserve that. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. I am the good shepherd and I lay my life down for my sheep. So he paid for it, not for you to walk around and beat yourself up with it every day, but for you to walk around free. Come on. Come on, church. Are you with me? You see, from the beginning, from Genesis he created us to be in right relationship with him. And the enemy tried to steal our identity. And you are daughters and sons of the king. And I will never stop saying that. So if you get tired of hearing it, I'm not sorry. You are a daughter, you are a son. And who the son sets free is free indeed. Amen? So today in this moment, we examine our hearts and today I see, I see things that have been on you for years just falling off, falling off. He's putting a new robe on you. He's calling you by name. Will you close your eyes with me? I wrote the words, examine, repent, accept, and walk free. Examine, repent, accept his forgiveness forgive yourself and like we said this is a process so this isn't just the only moment but I want to read this to you with your eyes closed whatever the revelation light exposes it will also correct and everything that reveals truth is light to the soul 
This is why the scripture says, Arise, you sleeper, rise up from your coffin, and the anointed one will shine his light into you. Ask the Holy Spirit, shine your light into me. I don't want to carry anything around that I shouldn't be carrying. I want to receive your complete freedom. I want to walk out of this grave and into the garden in Jesus' name.